Hello, welcome to the first episode of Crocheting Through Medical History. I'm Maria. I have Gimli on my lap, the cat, and he will definitely start screaming at some point. So my apologies, I don't like it either. Maybe you will. Um, first of all, shout out to a, another podcast called Crochet and Crime with Elle. She um, is the one that inspired me to do this because she is crocheting by Gimli and talking about something that she enjoys. So I thought I could do that too. So I will. Um, so to start off, I'm going to start by talking about Lyme disease because I have, have had I'm recovering from Lyme disease, um, and I talk about it a lot in my real life, with or without people asking about it, um, so I thought I would, this is a good, a good platform, there we go, a good platform that is appropriate to talk about it. Uh, so my vision for this podcast is that it will go into the history of the different diseases and different conditions so it will not be like a helpful guide um and hopefully i don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone living with any of these diseases when you get later on and i do not have them um yeah i'm not trying to give medical advice i'm not trying to say anything about the conditions, I'm just going into the history, how they became, hopefully nothing within the past 20 years will be talked about, because I don't want to do that. I'm not a medical professional, so keep that in mind. Um, so Lyme disease was discovered in Lyme, Connecticut, and its surrounding towns in 1975 after 51 community members were diagnosed with arthritis, which included 12 adults and 39 children diagnosed with arthritis. So there were two mothers of the children that were not satisfied with the diagnosis of arthritis in their children, and they sought help from the Yale School of Medicine to dig deeper into their conditions. One of these mothers was Polly Murray, who died in 2019, but was heavily involved in the advocacy of Lyme disease and its patients, but I could not find the name of the other mother. But big thanks to Polly Murray for all that she did. Um, so within the Yale School of Medicine, the two doctors that were most heavily involved in the research of what is now known as Lyme disease were Alan C. Steer and Stephen E. Malawista, who, um, they were members of the rheumatology department. These two and their team examined the patients diagnosed with arthritis and did not find anything unusual in their initial physical examinations or lab work, but they did discover during the histories that one-fourth of the arthritis patients had experienced an erythema migrans or bullseye rash at least a month before their arthritic symptoms started. 
the erythema migrans rash has been seen, had been seen previously in Europe and had been associated with an infectious agent, but it had never been seen um, in arthritis cases before. So to further dispute the arthritis diagnosis, that is my dog. I'm sorry, he is scratching his face. There we go. Hopefully that will be quieter. <clears throat> to further dispute the arthritis diagnosis, it was found that the affected patients had all lived in the wooded areas of town, not in the center of the towns, um, and that all of their symptoms onset during the summer months. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, so these external commonalities were strange, should not be affected by area of location or um, time of year. It's autoimmune. Also during their research, Steer and Malwista hypothesized that the disease affecting their patients was carried by ticks because the condition was 30 times more prevalent on the side of town, on uh, one side of the river in Lyme that had deer and deer ticks, than the other side of the river in the town that did not have as many deer and deer ticks. When they realized that there was more going on than just arthritis, Steer and Malwista asked local healthcare providers to refer them, their patients with erythema migrans rashes, as soon as possible. And this enabled them to continue research that uncovered that Lyme arthritis could present with symptoms in the nervous system, in the heart, as well as in the joints. By 1977, it was suspected the bacteria was involved in the disease, and in 1980, it was determined that antibiotics would improve the erythema migrans rash and the arthritis symptoms. I am back. So sorry. I needed a drink. So to continue, in 1982, Wilhelm Willy Bergdorfer isolated the infectious agent that causes Lyme disease, and it is now named Borrelia burgdorferi, named after Willie Borgdorfer. Burgdorfer. Goodness. Borrelia is a genus of spirochete, which are corkscrew-shaped bacterium, which are difficult to eradicate uh, once the infection has occurred. And it was later found that Borrelia burgdorferi is also such a persistent infection due to its outer surface proteins, um, the presence of OSPC along with the tick saliva increases the infectivity of Borrelia burgdorferi in its mammalian hosts, um, which are infected when they're being fed on by a tick that is carrying the bacteria. Yuck. We don't like ticks kind of gross. But, moving on. In 1984, the Yale School of Medicine gathered Lyme disease researchers worldwide at the first international conference on Lyme disease in New Haven. This conference included attendees um, from the fields of rheumatology, immunology, dermatology, neurology, had public health officials, and other medical providers that were simply curious about Lyme disease and the research. 
And the next year, um, in 1985, Steer and Malawista were awarded the Siba Gaiki International League Against Rheumatism Prize. Completely butchered that. So sorry. Meant to look that up. Completely forgot. But they were awarded that prize for discovering and elucidating Lyme disease. Being a relatively newly discovered condition, Lyme disease is still not fully understood, but it can be categorized as early Lyme disease, which presents with a bullseye rash, fatigue, and other symptoms presenting within a month or so of the rash, and late Lyme disease, which commonly presents with asymmetric oligoarticular arthritis in the knees and other large joints. Um, even today, testing for Lyme disease is often inaccurate, as the most widely used PCR tests lack consistent sensitivity required for all the different stages of Lyme disease. This leads to many false negative tests that cause many Lyme patients to be misdiagnosed, and the disease itself is underdiagnosed, which in turn leads to long-term chronic Lyme disease not being widely recognized by the medical community as not a medical professional, professional um, but as a post-professional sick person. I very much believe in long-term Lyme disease. Um, I fully advocate its diagnosis, its treatment, and obviously its existence. I um, definitely believe in it. I definitely think other people should believe in it. But I'm trying to be non-biased, so forget I even said that. Regardless of my beliefs, Lyme patients often recover more fully with antibiotic treatment as soon as possible after a tick bite whether or not an erythema migrans rash is observed at the site of the bite. Again, only 25% of those initial patients had a rash. So it is not, is not, it's not a good indication of whether or not you were even bit by a tick. So you can still get Lyme disease, still be bit by a tick, even without a rash. In conclusion, Lyme disease is widely not under, let me try that again. Lyme disease is widely not understood and its existence and impact is a heated area of debate in the medical community, but it can impact many different parts of its patients' bodies and can cause very bad, unfortunate things that are not always easily treated. As a Lyme, I want to give a big shout out to Send me a lot of names. Gonna mispronounce most of them. Very sorry. Um, Alan C. Steer, MD. Stephen E. Malawista, MD. David R. Snydman, MD. Francis M. Steele, MD. Durland Fish, PhD. Eugene D. Shapiro, MD. Errol Fickrig, MD. Linda Bockenstedt. MD, Wilhelm Willie Borgdorfer, PhD. Um, thanks to the rest of the Yale School of Medicine Research Department that was involved in the Lyme research. Um, thank you to 
Christina Album Barfinkel in the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine. It's the article that I got a lot of this information from. And lastly, thank you to Polly Murray and all the Limeys and their loved ones that have advocated or are advocating for this disease and for the people affected by it. That is all for today. I will be back later. Please follow me on Instagram, um, crocheting through history. Nope, scratch that, crocheting through medical history. Very important. It is in parentheses in my head. It is not in parentheses in the Instagram handle. But just know that it is in parentheses. Um, follow me on Instagram. I honestly forgot to crochet through most of that. So I have just a long chain right now. But I will turn this into a Borrelia borgdorferi spirochete bacteria. It will be pink. It's a bit of purple. It will be very pretty. Just like bacteria. Um, if you have any requests or ideas for podcast topics, please let me know. You can DM me on Instagram. Or if you were listening to this first episode, you probably know me and have my phone number. Feel free to text me or DM me. Either way, thank you for listening and for putting up with the disturbances from my pets. I love them, but they can be annoying. But have a wonderful day. I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Sidebar. Um, I was listening to the episode and realized I forgot to also shout out my friend Hannah for being my partner in this podcast um and for being a very good idea man is a not man is a female thank you for being my idea man shout out to hannah as well thank you